if this what we're if what we're talking about is not impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. If this isn't impeachable, then nothing is impeachable. That was testimony from one of the four constitutional law experts, Michael Gerhardt, a University of North Carolina School of Law professor, yesterday in front of the House Judiciary Committee in Washington, talking about the things that President Trump has admitted to doing on a phone call with the leader of Ukraine. The debate now is whether those things rise to the level of impeachment, according to the Constitution and according to the political process. Uh, Those impeachment hearings are continuing, and now Nancy Pelosi says that the House is going to draft articles of impeachment. We heard from three of those Democratic law professors yesterday about why they thought Donald Trump has reached the threshold of impeachment. We heard from one law professor who was called by Republicans who said he has not. To shed a little more light on what we heard yesterday and what we might expect going forward, we've got Brian Kalt, a constitutional law expert at Michigan State University and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies with us. Brian, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. All right, so let's start with your reaction to yesterday's hearing. Did you hear anything that changed your mind? Did you hear anything that cemented your position, perhaps, on what the House ought to do with this question of impeachment? No, I don't think there is anything new for me. I mean, I'm someone who's been looking at these issues a lot, and I I know a couple of the people who were testifying, and it was was all uh, about what one would expect. And do you think that we are at a point where there isn't a whole lot of question about President Trump and his behavior? Is this impeachable behavior? I don't think there's there's any question. So with President Clinton, there there were questions. Like we, we all agreed on what he had done, and the question was, did it rise to the level of an impeachable offense? Here, the question is uh, still mired in the fact. Uh, The Democrats believe that Trump did these things, and the Republicans don't. Even the Republicans' expert, Professor Turley, said that a a quid pro quo would be uh, impeachable. Uh, He just didn't think that uh, the the facts had been established sufficiently. Mm. So um, that's the point we're at now. Yeah. So uh, going forward, Nancy Pelosi says they're going to draft articles of impeachment Give us a sense of what you expect those articles to look like. There was a lot of debate yesterday, and there has been, about which particular offense you include in this in this kind of uh, pr- proceeding. Do you make it about bribery, for instance, which I think is a, a concept that, that people probably understand a whole lot better than high crimes and misdemeanors, which is the other phrase that's in the Constitution, which is not as defined. What what do you expect that the House will do? I think it's interesting to uh, look not just at how they draft the uh, Ukraine uh, things, and as you mentioned, they could cast it as bribery or other things, but how many other things might they bring in? So starting with Ukraine, um, I, I think if they follow historical precedent, what they will do is rather than say bribery is a crime, these are the elements of the crime, uh, and, he, and he did those, th- they'll back away from that. Um, despite the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors, 
it's really separate from the criminal justice uh, process. It doesn't have to be a crime. So what they'll, what they'll do, I mean, it certainly helps if it's a crime, if they want to impeach you for it, but what they'll do is they'll put it in terms of violating his oath, uh, violating his duty to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, things, things like that, putting it in terms of abuse of his power. Um, even if the underlying conduct is criminal in their view, uh, they will they will sort of constitutionalize it uh, that way, and then the question is, do they go on and add uh, other things like emoluments clause uh, violations or things in the Mueller report that uh, have been out there but they haven't gotten around to uh, yet, but but which they say, hey, while while we're doing this, uh, we think these are impeachable too. I think you'll see some debate about whether they should stay focused on Ukraine or add in those things too. So I I really wonder what you make of some of the objections that Republicans have to this proceeding about the speed of it. Heard from Jonathan Turley yesterday about that and about the idea that these offenses that the president is supposed to have committed are not provable to a legal criminal standard. Are those things that Democrats should really be concerned about and taking seriously? Well, the part about the proving it to a legal uh, criminal standard is sort of uh, sort of off base because again, this is not a criminal um, criminal justice uh, proceeding. It's not about whether someone goes to prison. It's it's really just about and there, there's I'll put it this way: there's a reason that the Constitution assigns this task to Congress and not to a court, not to actual judges. Um, that said, the, the question is always. Um, not is this a high crime or misdemeanor because th- that bar is actually pretty low. It's is this something that merits removal from office? And that fundamentally is a, a political question. And so each member of the House in voting to impeach and each member of the Senate, if they impeach in the House, each member of the Senate in voting whether to convict or acquit, they'll have to decide for themselves whether they think um, he did something wrong. And then if he did something wrong, is it bad enough? that he needs to be removed. It's not like there's some magical formula where once you've done A, B, and C, then you're automatically removed. It's always sort of rooted in this political judgment of, of the members of the House and Senate. And uh, so, so that'll be the debate. And, and I think that uh, everyone can have their own standard in, in Congress. They can explain themselves, and, uh, and the voters ultimately can respond to that. And and what do you make of the effect on the republic, on democracy, on this idea that we are a nation of laws, and that uh, and that the political process has to sort of respect that at, at at some level? If the president is impeached, for instance, but not convicted in the Senate, do you worry that the consequences will be? undesirable for the, the the republic itself that that somehow this will do damage to people's faith that the system works well i, I think it's um we're kind of in a no-win situation here um for, for the from the democrats perspective they, they they believe that what trump has done is is really wrong and it would be it would be wrong for them to just give him a pass on that. Um, on the other hand, if they do this and it doesn't succeed, what have they really accomplished? They've, they've made a statement, but then the statement is that he's, I don't know, maybe not vindicated by the Senate, but certainly that he 
got away with successfully whatever uh, whatever he did. Um, so there's a question of how much political capital do you spend on what ultimately you know is going to be a futile gesture. And then the Republicans can turn around and say, well, hey, um, that's what we do now. We impeach people, right? We impeach Clinton. They impeach Trump. Um, if if you think that they've done something worth removing them from office, that that's setting the bar pretty low. Let's do it. And I, I think it, it would be a problem if we sort of um, lowered the bar and saw impeachment happening more and more, uh, sort of a, a go-to automatic thing. Um, I, I'm not saying that what Trump did uh, was, was right or that the Democrats are wrong. I'm just saying that if you go back in history, there were all sorts of things that presidents did that people had deep problems with. Uh, even recently, think of Iran-Contra, um, think of the Iraq War, and we dealt with those things um, politically uh, in the ordinary course of politics and elections, and impeachment was sort of a uh, very, just held in reserve, very extreme case sort of thing. And uh, it's only in recent decades with, uh, with the Clinton case and every president since then where People resort pretty quickly to talking about impeachment. It just wasn't it wasn't so much at the forefront uh, for the first 180 years. My guest is Brian Kalt, a constitutional law expert at Michigan State University and the author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, a legal guide for presidents and their enemies. We're talking about the testimony we heard yesterday in Washington in front of the House Judiciary Committee about whether the things that President Trump is accused of doing actually rise to the level of impeachment. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us what your reaction was to this testimony yesterday. Are there any doubts in your mind about whether Trump's actions merit impeachment and removal from office? And what do you think would happen if Trump faced no consequences at all for the things he is accused of doing and actually admits that he did? As always, the number here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Doug in Macomb. Doug, welcome to the show. Hello, Stephen. Hello, guests. Uh, thanks very much for taking my call. Mm-hmm. Um, if I could say to everyone listening that, uh, you know, George Washington wrote us all a letter in 1796 that uh, really goes a long way to everything we're witnessing today. And then I would ask you... And, uh, You're talking about I, his I, farewell I expect- letter? Uh, his farewell yes, letter? Sir. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, and then I would ask your guest, I wouldn't imagine he'd be very well prepared to speak on this, but uh, in speaking to cliffhangers, constitutional cliffhangers, so what, what could, could we speak to what happens when the four objections given in Federalist 66 become our reality? You know what I mean? Whereas this GOP really only needs to uh, maintain a level of partisanship here in order to negate the entire impeachment effect here and, and keep it essentially illegitimate. Um, well, let me just stop there. Could, mm-hmm. could, could the guest speak to what happens when the four objections there in 66 become our reality? Uh, th- and these objections were to the concentration of the trial power in impeachment in the Senate? Yes. Yes. Okay. Uh, I just want to make sure that uh, that our listeners are following along because not everybody spends a lot of time with the Federalist Papers. Uh, Brian Colt, uh, can you address that that concern? 
Yeah, so um, I think the first important thing to note is that when the Constitution was written, when the um, Federalist Papers were written defending the Constitution, we didn't have political parties. They didn't think that there would be a a two-party system. So impeachment wasn't really designed with a two-party system in mind Mm -hmm. in particular. That said, uh, they figured that uh, presidents would face uh, uh, senates that that had people loyal to them and people opposed to them. That there would be that there would be sort of divisions like that. And by requiring two thirds of the Senate, they understood that it would require um, a consensus. That even people, even some people who supported the president, would need to think that what he had done was so wrong that he needed to be removed. Uh, for that. And so once we got into a two-party system, that sort of translated into saying a, a number of people from the president's own party would need to think so before uh, that would happen. Um, where that has gotten us uh, into a little trouble is it didn't used to be that the parties were so uh, polarized. So it used to be there's a fair amount of overlap. If you had all of the Democrats on board, that meant you would have some of the Republicans and vice versa. And now the parties are completely polarized. There's no one in, in between. Um, even more so, the parties uh, seemingly have different versions of reality on, on a lot of things. And, and so that really makes it harder to successfully um, impeach and remove someone, because it, it means that you have to get the agreement of uh, sort of both, uh, both versions of reality have to, have to say that what the president did was wrong. And, and we see that that's really hard to um, really hard to muster that kind of consensus hmm. uh, as far as federal 66 and um, the specific arguments there I, I think most of those have gone away they're sort of about you know what's the role of the Senate versus the court mm-hmm. and uh, how powerful would the Senate be would they be too aristocratic I, I think really it's it's become more about this question of partisan politics and how polarized we are and how difficult it is to get the kind of consensus we used to have. In Nixon's case, um, Nixon didn't resign until the tapes came out. It was clear that he had lied. He had lied to everyone. He had lied to the Republicans who had been backing him up. So once the Republicans uh, deserted him, that's when he knew he had to resign. He was going to get impeached, but he was going to fight it out because he had the votes in the Senate. Then he didn't, so he resigned. Uh, again, thanks very much uh, for the call and the questions. Let's quickly go to Glenn and Macomb. Glenn, what's on your mind? Uh, I was just wondering, um, there's so many people skirting the subject of why they want to avoid impeachment at all costs, if possible, because it's it's this harrowing thing that our co- country is going to go through. And my question is, if it's only happened, this would be the fourth time in the history of our republic isn't that odd? I mean, are we so perfect that we've we've literally only made four mistakes so grievous that we would replace? I mean, I, I look at uh, CEOs of companies; they come in and out. They they screw up. Yeah, they might get golden parachutes, whatever, but they come in and out. We make decisions that say this isn't working. Whereas in this situation, especially with the split uh, electorate, it's, it seems to me that it's. We're expecting too much right. from the system. Uh, that's a great question, uh, Glenn. I'm glad you called and asked. Brian, uh, can we quickly talk about the, the reason that stability has endured the way it has in, in the executive branch of our republic? 
Well, I think it's breaking down. I mean, it, yes, four times in the history of the Republic, if if you're um, counting Nixon as one of the cases, um, but three times in, in my lifetime, uh, two of the last four presidents, uh, if this goes forward. So I, I think we, we see that it is uh, becoming more common. And, and it's not because the presidents only recently started doing questionable things. Uh, Gerald Ford said an impeachable offense is whatever the House says it is. But the reality is um, that that's actually a limit. It's only what a majority of the House is willing to say it is. And until recently, they weren't willing to say that very often. Okay, Brian Kalt, constitutional law expert at MSU and author of Constitutional Cliffhangers, The Legal Guide for Presidents and Their Enemies. Great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming. Oh, thanks for having me. Mm -hmm. Up next, a conversation about the implications of Senator Kamala Harris dropping out of the presidential race. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 